It is good for us to be together. We've got several visitors you know, with us today and want to again express that we appreciate you being here. We have some here from the community and we are so glad to have you. We invite you to come back and be with us. Have others who are out of town. We pray that if you travel today or tomorrow that all will go well in returning home. But we invite you to come back every opportunity that you have to be with us. Our Lord Jesus Christ prayed. And so it's not surprising that disciples of Jesus Christ are to be a praying people. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, we are told about the occasion where there were some disciples of Jesus Christ that came to him and they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so he did. He began to teach them how to pray by first giving them an example of a prayer. He gave them a model, a spiritual template about what kind of things should people of God, believers of God, pray about. When you talk to God, when you reverently approach that throne of heaven, what are some of the things that needs to be in your prayers? And one of those things is the idea of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, the, the get this back here, here we go, the kingdom of God, where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is in, in, on earth as it is in heaven. Very quickly, I want to just simply say this, that Jesus is king. Right now, Jesus is king. He is the king. He's the king over all kings. He is our king. And he's even the king over those that don't recognize him as king. He is king. Reigning right now at the right hand of God the Father. And so the idea of the kingdom, the subject of the kingdom, should be something in our prayers. That should be an important part of our prayers. Jesus established his kingdom. He came to do that and he did it. His dominion... You know, that he established is one which will never be destroyed because it is a spiritual kingdom. It is a heavenly kingdom, so it's eternal. He is king, his kingdom exists, and therefore Christians, Christians are the citizens of that kingdom. Now, evangelism evangelism, which is the sounding forth of the gospel of Christ, the sounding forth of that kingdom, is kingdom business. Think about it. People, you know, disciples of Christ need to be praying people because Jesus prayed. And one of the things that he you know, quickly introduced as an important component of prayer life is the kingdom. And God's will being done as it relates to the kingdom. And evangelism is part of the kingdom. It is part of kingdom business. The king's news, the king's decrees need to be told. They need to be shared. They need to be proclaimed throughout the world. And God's will is that the son's kingdom, his son's kingdom, God's will is that that kingdom would fill the earth. That's what God wants. And our Lord's kingdom, 
the dominion of Christ that reigns in the hearts of men, you know, it spreads, it expands. How? Well, it does so as more and more souls submit by faith to the king. As they submit by faith in obedience to the king of kings' will, to God's Christ, his anointed one. And so this morning I want to talk about how vitally important and necessary that we are busy praying for kingdom growth. We need to be praying for kingdom growth. And brothers here in the congregation do this. And so I want to encourage us to do this more. Do it more in our public assemblies, but also do it more every day that you pray. That you pray about the kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. God wants citizens filling the dominion of Christ, and part of that being successful is your prayer life. When Jesus came to the earth, when the Word, the eternal Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, Emmanuel was here, walked among men. When he was here, his mission was to preach the kingdom, to preach the good news of his Father's will, and to do that will, and part of that will was to provide redemption and salvation through the atoning sacrifice of himself. That is a vitally necessary component of the kingdom for G- that Jesus established. And so, but he, Jesus preached. For example, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14 and 15, he says, Now after John had been taken into custody, talk about John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, who prepared the way for the coming of the Messiah. And you remember, he was arrested and put in prison by Herod because of what he was teaching, particularly about the immorality that Herod the king was committing. And so Herod put him in prison. And so after that happened, it says, Jesus came into Galilee preaching, preaching the gospel of God. And it goes on to say, and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. To preach the gospel of God is to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And because Christ is king and and his kingdom exists and is here, we need to repent and believe the message of that one who is the king of kings. So Jesus preached. And it should not surprise us, therefore, that his disciples did the same thing. Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the good news, to preach the kingdom. You see that in Matthew 10, on a smaller scale, he sends the 12 out. And they were preaching, the kingdom is near, and you need to repent. They were preaching the same thing Jesus was preaching. And then at the end of Matthew, in Matthew 28, you've got what we often describe as the Great Commission, you know, where he is now sending his apostles and disciples to go throughout the world and make disciples of all nations, to preach to everybody Christ and the kingdom, that good news. 
But Jesus did not, did, did not only pr- preach and send his own disciples out to do the same thing, he prayed for them. In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, before he is arrested and then crucified, on the night in the upper room when Jesus, for the last time, observed the Passover meal, that memorial of the Israelite freedom from Egyptian captivity. So Jesus observes that for the last time, and on that evening, he had a number of things he needed to tell his apostles. And the Gospel of John enumerates much of that. In John 17, you have a prayer that Jesus prayed on that same night in the presence of those apostles. And I'm going to pick up there in verse 17 as he's praying, and he says, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. He's praying for the disciples there that he has Who's, to whom he's given his word and he's sending them out. And they've not yet received the great commission, but that's going to be given to them after the resurrection before Jesus ascends back to heaven. But he, So he says, God, my father, he's praying to his father, sanctify, father, these men in the truth, your word is truth, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask on behalf of these alone. So he's praying for them, but notice he now shifts a bit. He said, I'm not only praying for them, in verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. That they... All may be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So here you have, in the mission of Christ to proclaim the good news of salvation and the kingdom to the world, Jesus prayed about that. He prayed for those disciples, he prayed for those apostles, he prayed about their influence, he prayed about their work in the world. On one, he prayed that they would be sanctified in the truth, that the truth would set them apart. They needed to be standing in the truth, and they needed to be living according to that truth, and they needed to be proclaiming that truth. He says, may they be set apart and sanctified in your truth, God, your word of truth. He also prayed that I'm sending them out, God, just like you sent me. He says, so he's praying about their safety, about their well-being. But also, he's praying about those who are going to hear the message. There in verse 20, when he says, I pray not only for these men, but I'm praying for also all those who are going to believe through their word. Prayer was an important part of the kingdom. And it still is. It is still very much an important part of the kingdom and its growth and its expansion in the world today. The gospel of Christ is to be proclaimed, it is to be taught, it is to be shared to all kinds of people. The good news of God is to be told to everyone. And so you need to be praying for preachers and teachers. Evangelists and teachers of God's word need your prayers. If you recall in Ephesians 4, 
In Ephesians 4, we learn how the Lord Jesus Christ has ordained that there are to be, there are to be ministers in the church, in the kingdom, that are equipping saints to do the work of the Lord. And in that number is or are evangelists and teachers. That's God's will, that's God's design, that's God's purpose, that there needs to be and there must be evangelists and teachers in the cause of Christ. And you need to be praying about that. You need to be praying that there are evangelists and teachers doing their work in the kingdom. Back in Matthew chapter 9, interestingly, even, while, even during the ministry, in chapter 9, verse 37 and 38, Jesus even told the disciples to do this in the ninth chapter, where he talks about how you know, the harvest is great. You know, you know, you've got this few, huge task before you, and, and so, you know, and it's a time when Jesus notices the crowd, the people, and he says, that, you know, they're like sheep without a shepherd. <laughs> you know, these people need help. And of course, Jesus came to be that shepherd. But he goes on to say, verse 37, then he said to his disciples, so that's, that's the kind of, that's the, that's the circumstance, that's the backdrop to why he says what he says. He sees this need, this great need of lost sheep who are desperately needing a shepherd to save them and to lead them and to guide them. And so he then turns to his disciples and says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. There's never enough. There's never enough preachers and teachers. And we need to be praying about this. We need to be praying that there are more preachers and teachers proclaiming the good news of Christ and his kingdom. The need of lost sheep is so great that the harvest needs more workers. There's never enough workers in this harvest of the world. So pray, pray that more brothers, pray that more brothers will be trained and that more brothers are willing to be trained to be evangelists and teachers. Pray about that. The harvest is great. It was great then and it's still great. And we need to be praying for that. It is God's will and purpose of dying that there needs to be preachers and teachers. Why? Because it is through the message preached that souls are saved. Even the world may think it's foolish and folly, but that's God's design and God knows best. If you're going to convert hearts and convert souls to God and to Christ, it's going to be through the message of truth. And so pray that there will be more. And that men will use their abilities to teach the gospel in, in whatever way they can. All will not be preachers and evangelists. Everybody's not going to be an evangelist. But there can be teachers. 
You may choose not to be an evangelist, but you surely can be a teacher. If you have the ability, the resources to proclaim God's message, God wants you to use it. Use in the way so that the kingdom will grow. So pray about that. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 25, near the end of this letter, it's not a very long letter, one of those short letters of Paul. Near the end of this letter, you have the apostle Paul saying this to the church at Thessalonica. He said, brethren, pray for us. Think about that. Here is the apostle Paul, a hero of faith to us. And he's saying to this young church of God's people in the city of Thessalonica, you know, you know, this church is made up of basically all new converts. <laughs> and he's saying to all these new converts, they've called upon the name Lord and they, you know, they've, they've given their allegiance to the king. And of course, Paul had gone there. He'd been part of, uh, of that work. He writes back to them and he gives them instruction from the spirit in this letter. And at the end of it, he says, brethren, pray for us. Now, earlier on in the chapter, up in verse 17, in the same chapter, verse 17, he said to the church, he says, pray without ceasing. You need to make prayer you know, a daily part of your life, a constant part of your life. Why is that? Because when we are spiritually minded, prayer is going to be a constant presence in our daily activities. If we have the mind of Christ, prayer is going to be just a natural part of our life. And so he says, pray without ceasing. It needs to be there all the time. And then he comes back and personally requests that he needs their prayers. The apostle, the apostle Paul, chosen by Christ himself, out of season, yes, but chosen by Christ himself, who is willing to suffer at great lengths for the cause of Christ, was still a brother, was still a man of faith, no matter how great you think he is or was, that needed his brethren's prayers. And Silvanus or Silas and Timothy were the co-workers with him at the time that he writes this. So here is Paul, Silas, and Timothy all asking the church, says, we need you to be praying for us. We desperately need your prayers. How much more? How much more? Your brothers, your husbands, your dads, your grandfathers, who are laboring today in the word... How much more do they need your prayers? We all need your prayers. If the kingdom is going to grow through the means that God has planned, it's going to require prayers coming from the kingdom, praying for the kingdom to grow. If Paul and Silas and Timothy great servants of Christ in the first century who were laying down their life, not just spiritually, but physically, 
for Jesus, their king, if they needed prayers, how much more does David Bunting need prayers? Pray for your brethren. Pray for your brothers. Pray for your husbands. Pray for your dads. Pray for your grandfathers. Pray for your uncles. And down the list, whoever they are, any who are laboring today in the word, who are sowing the seed of the kingdom, pray for them. Because there needs to be open doors for that word. In Colossians chapter 4, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4, the Apostle Paul is writing to a different body of believers, a different congregate of Christians in a different city. And he says then in verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert, keeping alert in it, that is keeping alert in prayer with thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well. He says, be devoted to prayer, keeping alert in prayer with thanksgiving, praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door. But what kind of door? A door for the word. So that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ for which I have also been imprisoned. This is one of Paul's prison ladies. What do we mean by that? He wrote this from prison. Because he was preaching the go- he's preaching the gospel and he ends up in prison. And he's still doing the work of the Lord. So he's writing these letters as directed by the Holy Spirit. And he's sent, sending it to, to churches. And Colossae was one of those churches that received a letter from Paul from prison. And so he says, you know, this, he says, pray for, that for us that an open door for the word. Think about it. He's in prison. Paul is in prison and he's saying, pray for us and pray that a door will be open for us. He's in prison. What do you mean? I can't do anything. Don't diminish the power of God to open a door. A door for the word. And he goes on in verse four, not only that he opened the door, but also verse four, that I, Paul, I, Paul, may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Your devotion to prayer should not be entirely focused on our physical needs and circumstances. There's a place for that. James, James 5 clearly brings that out. If you're suffering, you know, if you're sick, it talks about Prayer being a vital component to work through those times. But that doesn't need to be all what our prayers are about. Our physical situation. Our prayers need to be offered with a very intense awareness, with a very diligent circumspection of what is truly at stake. That's what our prayers need to be highlighted. What really is at stake here? Of what life really ought to be about? Do I, should I pray about sickness and needs and be grateful? Should I, yes, I should, I should say those things in my prayer. But there's so much more to our calling in Christ. Here in Colossians 4... 
He says, be devoted. Do you devoted in prayer? And he says, and especially be praying for us that a door may be open for the word. Once again, not see, Paul always, not always, but you see a number of times, Paul asking for the very brethren he's writing that are receiving teaching from Paul, turns around and says, but pray for us. And he's specifically praying here for the church at Colossae that they would pray for him and his co-workers to have open doors. Could that include he need to be let out of prison? Yes, that may have been part of it. That God would open the door of prison so he can go preach. And, and, and that did happen. But that's not the only door that need to be opened, is it? There are other doors of different kinds that need to be opened. But a couple of things I'm going to draw from this exhortation here in Colossians 4, 2 through 4, is this, when you're praying for open doors for God's word, for the gospel of Christ, what are some things you, that you need to be mindful of? One is be specific. Be specific. Paul says pray for us that God will open a door for the word. Be specific. Pray that God will open a door for the word in Leland's life. Pray that God will open a door for Ronnie Green, one of the evangelists that we support in the preaching of the gospel. Pray for all those brothers that we support. Pray that God will open a door for the word. But no, not only pray for the others, but also you need to be praying that God will open a door for you to share the word. Pray for that. Be specific about who needs doors opened so the word of God can be spoken to somebody. But once again, it's a door for the word. It's not just simply a door so you can be acquainted with somebody. It's not just so that God will open a door so you can build a friendship. Now, all of those things can be advantageous. And they can be opportunities. Yes, those are not bad things. But that's not the point here. That God said, well, God, just open the door so I can meet somebody. Open the door so I can make, make a friend with somebody. No, he says, open a door for the word. It may be through some of those avenues. But the thing, it's a door for the word. And so you see the personal aspect. It's not just for the other brother that needs that door open so he can speak it. But also it's a door that needs to be open for you. So you can speak it to somebody. Pray for the word and that door being open. But also pray for clarity. It just strikes me there in verse 4 when, when Paul says, he goes on to say, and that I may make it clear in the way I ought to speak. Of all, you know, why did Paul need that kind of prayer? Of all people. You know. But he did. He's guided by the Holy Spirit directly to proclaim the truth. But he still needed prayers of brethren across the land. Not only that he would have a door for the word open, but also that when that door opened, he would speak it 
with clarity. He say it in a way that could be clearly understood and what needs to be said. For example, pray for those people that you meet and you invite to church. Yeah. Once you do that invitation, then do you get home and pray for that person? Pray for the people you have already invited to the assemblies. Pray for those that you've given a, bi- a church business card to. Pray for this person. And maybe you, maybe you met them and you, and you remember their names. Or maybe you didn't introduce yourself. You just had a, a simple conversation. And it led to an opportunity where you, op- you tried to open a door. He said, but, so pray for those people. Don't forget them. Okay. Once you give them the card to them, you know, you know, don't now forget them. Pray for them. Pray for those who hear the word. In, in Luke chapter 8, you've got the parable of the sower, the parable of the soils. And you've got the, the soil that was good. You know, and the good soil was those who hear the word and receive it because they have an honest and good heart. Pray that those who are hearing the word of God have an honest and good heart. Why is that? Because for the heart to be receptive, for the seed to be able to sprout and root and grow, the heart has to be opened. Pray for that. Pray for those you know are hearing the word, that their heart will be opened to the word so it could sprout and root and grow. But again, be specific. It's not wrong to generalize things. And often in the public assembly, let me say this as a brother, that you know, it, it is difficult to remember everything that needs to be, pray, be prayed. And it's difficult to specify just the innumerable things that need to be prayed about. And our brothers do a good job. They do a great job. And so, yes, in our assembly times, we may generalize some of these prayers. Let us not be unrighteous in our judgment of each other. But can we, can we improve on that? Yes, I definitely can. Especially in my private prayers. I can do a whole lot better job praying specifically for people that I've interacted with. I've met in the store. Or people that I know others are studying with. I need to be praying about those hearers of the word. But finally, in Ephesians 6, we are called to arms. In Ephesians chapter 6, you have that well-known passage that describes to us the armor of God that all Christians are to put on. But that armor is incomplete without prayer. It is incomplete without prayer. We are to arm ourselves with prayer so that we can do the battle that needs to be done. That we can fight the spiritual fight that needs to be fought. And so you, for example, in in chapter 6, verse 11, he says, "Put put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And it begins to expound on that armor and why it's so important. If you think about what is described here, about the kind of warfare we're engaged in and the kind of 
opponents and adversaries were up against. With that in view, with that in view, clearly in our minds and in our hearts, and we understand what is at stake here. That's why down in verse 18, it says, after describing all the components of the armor, it then says, with all prayer. Put on the armor, put on all these things, all these spiritual components that enable you to stand and fight for God and for Christ. And then he says, and with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. Put it on and pray. Get out there and fight and pray. With all prayer and petition, pray at all, th- pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, as we continue to read there in verse 18 in Ephesians 6, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints and pray on my behalf that utterances may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Our armor is incomplete if we're not praying persistently. We're all in this war together. And we're called to fight the good fight. And what we're fighting for is the eternal well-being of people's spirits, of people's souls. That's what's at stake here. That's what's at stake. Our physical life is going to pass away. We don't like to think about that. But we're here just for a short time. Even if we reap the right old age of the 80s and the 90s and the 100, the few that reach, reach those blessed number of years, even if we do that, It's just an invisible speck in time. We're going to leave this world. But the soul, the soul is eternal. Everybody's soul is eternal. That's what's at stake here. And that's why Paul, as he says, put on the armor and then with all prayer... At all times, pray and keep on praying and pray for what? He says, once again, that the gospel will be taught with boldness. Persevere with prayers for all Christians that the gospel will be proclaimed everywhere with boldness. Paul needed those prayers. All preachers need those prayers. We all need those prayers that the gospel will be proclaimed as it ought to be proclaimed with boldness and clarity. Yeah. At whatever opportunity that each one of us is granted, and it's different for all of us. In this war between light and darkness, in this war between God and Satan, our aim 
Our aim is to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's our aim. That's what it's all about. To bring every thought and life in obedience to Christ. Because through that obedience, through that obedience, we are brought into fellowship with the king and we are made citizens of a kingdom that will never be destroyed. And death itself, Hades, cannot prevail against those in the kingdom. Truth needs to be sounded forth. It needs to be sounded forth everywhere. So arm yourself with prayer. The kingdom needs your prayers. Jesus is king. And he's established a dominion in the hearts of men who believe him. But he wants more. Jesus longs to rescue more and more people, more and more souls out of darkness, out of the domain of Satan. He wants to rescue them and make them citizens of his kingdom. All Christians are called to do their part in the mission of Christ. And the mission of Christ is saving souls through the word. That's the mission of Christ. Saving souls through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the mission of Christ was and is. That's the mission of his church and his kingdom. And so that's what our mission is. To do our part in saving souls. Because eternity lies before all of us. And there's a judgment coming. And Jesus wants to save you. So pray about that. Pray often without ceasing about that. Pray fervently about that. Pray for others and pray for yourself. That the kingdom will grow. That it will expand as lives are rescued out of darkness and sin and condemnation and saved in the blessed life and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Are you in the kingdom? Are you a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Have you committed your allegiance to him? Made him your king? By obeying him in faith to what he has commanded you to do? Are you forgiven of the sins you've committed in your life? Have you called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in faith to wash away your sins in baptism? Have you done that? If not, we want to encourage you to do that today. That's why Jesus came. He came to save you. He came to save all of us. And that's what we want. We all want to be saved together. If we can help you to make your life right with God, to call upon the name of the Lord in obedience to the gospel of Christ, or to be restored if you have strayed, if you've fallen away from your king, you've not been faithful to him, 
If we can assist you anyway spiritually, we invite you, encourage you, please come forward, make your wishes known while we stand and sing the song that has been selected. <laughs>